All right, thank you, David, for leading us in that time of singing and praise. And now, friends and family, it is time for us to get into our study of God's Word. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up at this time to the Gospel according to Luke chapter 1. And we're going to be looking at Luke's account of the Christmas story. Today we'll be in verses 26 through 38 of chapter 1. So the Gospel of Luke chapter 1 verses 26 through 38. I'm going to go ahead and begin by reading God's Word, and then we will pray and get into our study for this morning. So the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 1, 26 through 38. This is God's Word. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be? since I do not know a man. And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God... Nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning amidst this strange and unpredictable season in our collective lives. Lord, I know that in many ways it is possible, Lord, that this Christmas will be unlike many that we've had, perhaps any that we've ever had in our entire lives. Lord, I know it's difficult as we look on the horizon and perceive that there's going to be even more difficult times ahead, as some of us may not be able to travel to see loved ones. Others of us are concerned with whether we're going to be able to provide for our families, if there will be gifts under the tree this year. Lord, we just pray that in the midst of this chaos, we would be reminded that it was into the chaos that the Son was born, that the Christmas story doesn't take place once upon a time in a perfect world, but rather it took place 2,000 years ago in our world, in the midst of extremely difficult times for the people of God. 
And so, Lord, we would pray into the midst of the chaos we find ourselves in that the story and power and meaning of Christmas would make its home in our hearts. Lord, we pray for the ability to be granted to us by the Holy Spirit to hear these words as the word of God and that you would birth life in us, Father, and that you would produce fruit from our lives so that we bring glory to the God of Christmas. We just ask for your blessing now over this study. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, everyone. So we're calling this series The Spirit of Christmas. And of course, that's a phrase that people often use, the spirit of Christmas. Oh, I just love the spirit of Christmas. Even people who don't celebrate Jesus and they don't believe in him and they're not Christian or even perhaps religious, and yet they still like Christmas and they'll talk about the spirit of Christmas. And of course, many people, what they mean by that is sort of the ethos of Christmas that uh, people kind of, they know to stop their, their busy, hectic lives and to think about family and think about values that bind communities together, such as love, hope, peace, and joy, and, and then giving gifts to one another and creating traditions, which once again, bind families together and they bind cultures and nations together. So people recognize it's important and they refer to that as the spirit of Christmas. But of course, what we mean when we say the spirit of Christmas, we mean spirit with a capital S, the Holy Spirit. And what we're paying attention to in the Gospel of Luke is how Luke is the evangelist of the Holy Spirit, who more than the other synoptics pays attention to the Holy Spirit's work in the Christmas story. And the reason for that is because Luke also wrote the book of Acts, which explains and explores the birth of the Christian church and its mission in the Mediterranean world of the first century. And of course, for Luke, the explanation of that goes back to this story. It goes back to the Christmas story, and it goes back to the Holy Spirit. And the same Spirit of God hovering over the Christmas story was the same Spirit that birthed the church into existence on the day of Pentecost 2,000 years ago. And it's the same Holy Spirit that is working in our lives today. And so we're paying attention to what the Holy Spirit is doing. And so today in our text, we're looking at verses 26 to 38 of chapter 1, and we're going to pay particular attention to verse 35. So go ahead and look at verse 35 real quick, because this is going to be the theological center. This is the spiritual, doctrinal, theological center of this morning's study. But we will go back in a few moments and talk about some of the other things that Luke is telling us in this record of the birth of of Christ. So look at verse 35. And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. So notice again, who is responsible for this bringing of Jesus in his humanity, the incarnation of the Son of God? Who is bringing this into pass, into being? 
It's the Holy Spirit. So notice the attention to who, to the ministry of the Holy Spirit, who in this case is bringing new life into existence. So it says the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Again, this is not a in-depth description of how it happens, but rather an attribution to who is doing this. It is an, a tribute to who the one, the source of the incarnation. And the Holy Spirit is the one coming upon Mary. And there's a parallelism here, and it expounds that by saying, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. So really, that is a repetition, but in different language of the same truth that was just stated. The power of the highest is a reference to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who seems to enact the will of God in the world, that he grants the power to God's people in the world. He grants the power for people to belong to Christ and to live for him. So the emphasis on the Holy Spirit, this is the Holy Spirit's doing. And so for Christians, when we think about the spirit of Christmas, we should be thinking about the Holy Spirit and that the Holy Spirit is our resource today for what God wants to do through this season of celebration. Now notice what it says. It says, therefore, also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Um, I'll comment a little bit more about the virgin birth in a moment as we go back. But let me just point out that it says, therefore. So this is causally related. What is about to be said, namely, that he will be the Holy One and he will be called the Son of God, is the result of this moving, this special moving of the Holy Spirit over Mary. So just hang on to that idea and we'll come back to it in a moment. But notice this, it says that the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now there's been a lot of dispute over what this title means, Son of God. In traditional Christianity, people think immediately of deity, that Son of God means deity. And of course, if you were to begin in the Gospel of John, for example, uh, you would certainly rightly come to that conclusion much earlier. However, what many Bible scholars have pointed out is that not all biblical writers use the phrase in the same way. And so one of the things they do is they point to other uses of the phrase Son of God. Angels uh, can be referred to as sons of God. The idea of the Son of God can talk about one who is ultimately a specially chosen person of God. And this is not inaccurate. Again, this is not in competition with the claim that the title can also be used to refer to deity, but there's actually a valid claim right here in the Gospel of Luke that it can also refer to something else. And Luke records this something else in chapter 3 in his genealogy. So if you have your Bibles, you can flip over to Luke 3. 
And in Luke 3, Luke gives his genealogy. So Matthew gives a genealogy and Luke gives a genealogy. And Luke's genealogy, you'll note, follows Joseph's line, which is an adoptive father. So it's a legal line. It counts. There's no argument. Oh, it's Joseph. He's not the biological father, so it doesn't count. No, tradition and custom was that if Joseph accepted Jesus, which he did, he becomes legally his adopted heir. So he is rightly grafted into the line of Joseph. There's no problem there. But if you'll notice at the beginning of this genealogy in verse 23, it says, now Jesus himself began his ministry at about 30 years of age, being as was supposed the son of Joseph. Now, now there's a long list, which we won't read. So the son of Joseph, son of Eli, son of Matthew, and it goes on and on and on and on. Now, what I want to take you to is the very end of this genealogy. And notice what it says of Adam in verse 38. The son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. Notice how Adam is being called the son of God. Now, this is not a claim to deity. It's not saying that Adam is God or he's a God, as Mormonism, for example, declares. That's not what it's saying. Again, if we allow for the idea that, yes, Son of God, certainly in the Gospel of John, I think it is clear that John means deity. Uh, he's emphasizing deity by the phrase Son of God, the title Son of God. But Luke is using it in a different way. And notice that he's using it right here in a different way. He's noting that Adam is called the son of God. Now, the reason this is important is because you'll notice that that's a unique title for Adam. In other words, Adam was a direct creation of God. Adam had, listen, here's the connection. Adam had no human father. Think about that. The thing that Adam and Jesus, so a connection Luke is deliberately making a connection when he uses, when the angel uses that phrase here. Adam had no human father. Every other person that's ever come into the world since has had a human father. Whether we knew them or not, you had to have had one. That was not true of the first human. Adam had no human father. And so the connection is being made here that Jesus has no human father. That is being specifically referenced. And more than that, this is a big, big, grand picture, grand truth for the New Testament. And this is that Jesus is just is not just another human being born into the long list of fallen humanity. Rather, Jesus is the second Adam. He is the new Adam. He is the one through whom new life comes. This is so important. Jesus, the purpose of Christmas then, friends, is not to make your old life better, but to make a new life possible. Let me say that again. The purpose of Christmas is not to make your old life better, but to make a new life possible. And where do I get that? Right here in the Gospel of Luke, verse 35. When Luke says Jesus, 
by the operation of the Holy Spirit will be called the Son of God. He is pointing back to Adam who was had no biological father and Luke is showing us that Jesus is beginning a new story. A new life is being made possible in Jesus. This is so important because for many people, perhaps even us, Christmas season is is about looking back on the past and looking at our lives and saying, gosh, I'd like a little more and I'd like to be around these people. I'd like to have this person in my life. I'd like to not have those people in my life. I'd like to have this job, this money, this house, this car. Um, Friends, those things are not wrong per se, but those are things that pertain to this world, which is passing away. What Christmas is actually about is new life, life in the kingdom of God, looking forward to the new heaven and the new earth. And Christmas is a summons to begin living for the kingdom of heaven now. And so we'll talk a little bit more about this and practically how we can respond to it in just a few moments. But because much is said here about the Christmas story, about Christian doctrine and truths, I want to go ahead and address some of these issues. So if you back up to verse 26, it says, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now, this is automatically connecting us back with the previous angelic annunciation. So in other words, the birth annunciation from Gabriel to Zacharias, is being highlighted here. As a matter of fact, if you take the Annunciation to Zacharias and you set it side by side with the Annunciation to Mary, you see that it follows a very similar pattern, very clearly, grammatically, and practically. Actually, they line up. So we're meant to see these two things as following one another. This makes sense because the first annunciation was about John the Baptist, who would be the forerunner of the Messiah, who would go before him to prepare his way. And of course, Mary and Elizabeth are said to be related. And so all of the story, and you have the same angel, Gabriel, making the announcement. So these two stories are meant to be looked at side by side. And when we do that, not only do we see the same pattern, but we also see stark differences. And it's important we pay attention not only to the similarities, but to the dissimilarities. One of the dissimilarities is where the angel makes his announcement. You'll notice that the first announcement to Zacharias was in the temple, It was in a public place during a a great gathering of people, a throng of people, and it became evident that everyone knew about this, that even though they didn't see or hear the announcement, they were there waiting for Zacharias when it happened and when he came out because he couldn't speak. It was obvious that he had experienced some kind of appearance or a word or a visitation or a vision in the temple. Notice the contrast. John the Baptist got that big public reception or annunciation in the temple. And notice that Jesus, even in the announcement of his birth, is placed in a state of total humility. The annunciation of Jesus comes to a woman with no great name in a private place that nobody hears about. 
Nobody knows. Notice from the very, very beginning, the humility of Jesus, that God's way of doing things is not the way that we would do things, not the way the world would do things, but Jesus is showing that from the beginning, this is who he is. He is humble. He is full of humility. And so his announcement takes place not in a temple where there is a throng about, rather in a private place. Furthermore, the first annunciation was in Jerusalem, the city of the great king, where notice here, it takes place in a little village of Nazareth, a place of no repute or, or even ill repute, as is said later in the Gospels. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Again, you'll notice the word translated city, and that's simply because the Greek language didn't have a word for town or village. It's just the word polis, uh, where we get the word polity or politics. It means city, but it's really not a city. It's just a town or even a village. So this place of no reputation where no one is around in a little place, and that is where the announcement begins. Verse 27 says, To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. So Luke emphasizes two things. So notice he mentions Joseph, even though Joseph is not going to be involved with the conception of Jesus in the womb of Mary. And yet, because he's going to be the legally adopted father, he is mentioned here along with his Davidic heritage. So notice the uh, emphasis of that here. And also notice that virgin is repeated twice. To a virgin betrothed, the virgin's name was Mary. So once again, Luke seems to be highlighting that as well. He's highlighting that Mary is a virgin. Now, the virgin birth has come under attack for quite some time, probably uh, at least a few hundred years on a, on a massive scale since the Enlightenment. It's been criticized. It's been criticized on uh, a variety of accounts. Uh, number one, and I think the real problem, is anti-supernatural bias. Uh, the fact is there's people who come to the Bible with the assumption that there's nothing other in the world other than what they can see. They're uh, philosophical, materialists. All there is is all you can see, and that's it. There's no God. There's no spirits. There's no angels, no demons, no rhyme or reason or meaning to life. It, it just is, and that's it. That's the biggest problem I see to the virgin birth. But other people have actually raised linguistic and grammatical concerns. Uh, for example, some people will point to the Hebrew text and that it doesn't use the word that perhaps we would prefer the writer would have used if, if the writer were to make it clear that Mary was a virgin. We know the Greek word here is parthenos. It does seem, <clears throat> the Greek word does seem to emphasize uh, the chastity and virginity. So that uh, definitely is supportive of the traditional view of the virgin birth. However, other people have looked at the Hebrew text of Isaiah 7.14, and they've noticed that the word there, which um, if it were going to correspond a little more directly or perfectly, I should say, to the Greek Parthenos, people would have wanted to see perhaps the Hebrew word batula, which seems to more often emphasize uh, virginity and chastity. But instead, the Hebrew uses a different word. It uses the word alma. And alma can just mean more like young maiden. Uh, but again, a couple of points here. 
Number one, Alma does not mean by definition non-virgin. It's just a little bit more of a general word. So it can mean that. It's just that maybe that's not the primary meaning. So, so the Hebrew, if somebody tells you this, if they say the Hebrew disqualifies the virgin word, that's actually not true. And as a matter of fact, you could even look to the Greek Septuagint, which was translated by Alexandrian Jews 200 years before Christ. And when they came to Isaiah 7.14, they understood something to be happening there. And probably that's because the Hebrew word oat appears there. This will be a sign. Oat is usually, once again, not always, but usually used of a miraculous sign. For example, the word oat, translated sign, is used throughout the Exodus narrative. When God says, I will give you an oat, a sign that I'm going to lead you out, whether it's the burning bush itself, whether it's uh, Moses putting his hand into his coat, pulling it out, and it's leprous, whether it's the staff becoming a snake or, or the ten plagues, those are oats. Those are miraculous signs. And so probably the Alexandrian Jews translating this uh, from Hebrew to Greek 200 years before Christ, when they said, hey, there's going to be an oat, there's going to be a miraculous sign uh, regarding the Alma, they're thinking, well, if a woman, if a young woman, a young maiden uh, gets pregnant by her husband, that's not really an oat. That's not a miraculous sign. So they perceived there was something going on there, and they translated it in Greek as parthenos which is the same word Luke is using here, which refers chiefly to a virgin, to chastity. But friends, all that grammar and arguing aside, I think the context is very important. What is very important is verse 34. Jump ahead with me. Then Mary said to the angel, how can this be? How, how, can, how is it possible for me to get pregnant since I do not know a man? Now, students of the Bible are all well aware that to know a man, to know someone, is a Hebrew idiom for sexual intercourse. That's what it means. That's how you say it. I, I don't know them carnally, or, or Adam knew his wife Eve, and they had a son, so he knew her. So the context, not just the grammar of the specific word, but the context makes it very clear that what Mary is saying is, I don't normally, normal biology is for me to get pregnant, I would have to have sex, and I'm not. That's what she's saying. I'm not. So again, the virgin birth is something that is not just some ancient Christian legend or that was made up later. Rather, it is a verifiable truth, and we can know that on multiple grounds. Let's go on to verse 28. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you amongst women. Now that last phrase, blessed are you amongst women, does not appear in the earliest manuscripts. So this morning, if you're not using a King James or New King James Bible, your version may omit that. Um, and that's not a problem because Elizabeth actually says this very thing in the next section, which we'll look at next week. Blessed are you amongst women when Mary comes to visit her. So it's in the Bible. It's true. Whether it's also included here or not, that's a debate for biblical scholars, but it's not a problem for us today. So having come in, the angel said to her, rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is blessed you. So again, this is the idea of God's grace, 
which throughout the Bible is God's favor upon people. It says something about God chiefly. Now, we know Mary was a, a woman of honor, so certainly all of us, regardless of our Christian tradition, the Bible would, would treat her with extreme respect and honor. I mean, that's what it says. But the emphasis is still, notice this, friends, on God who gives the grace. It is God's favor. Again, there's nothing a person could do to merit God allowing them to birth the Messiah into the world. That is still God's free, unmerited decision and blessing to bestow on Mary. And so she's a person, a woman of high esteem and high honor. And yet it is the grace of God at work in Mary's life. Verse 29, but when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this might be. Again, as with everyone that sees an angel, it's not a comforting experience. It's a troubling one. So Mary, like most people, is troubled. She's a little worried. She's scared. There's an angel appearing to me right now. And the angel responds immediately, as they so often do. The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. So again, the angel is affirming you have nothing to be afraid of. I am not here to judge you. I'm here to be a blessing to you. I'm here to announce a blessing that God has chosen you. He is blessing you. And he's going to explain in verse 31 what that entails. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. Again, notice the announcement in the previous section was not to the mother. It was not to Elizabeth. It was to Zacharias. But since there's no human biological father involved with this birth, the father is bypassed because there isn't one. And that's why it's announced directly to Mary. And so you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and you shall call his name Jesus. And again, the name Jesus, Yeshua, means God is salvation. Yahweh is salvation. And that isn't just something that Jesus is a part of, because again, that was a common name. And yet Jesus, this Jesus, so remember, it's not just the name of Jesus, because many people use the name of Jesus and they mean a different person. So it's very important we understand that names identify someone. They identify the right person. And so again, it's when we talk about the power of the name, it's not just by throwing it out because it, a bunch of people could be named that. The point is you are praying to the person, the identity, the right identity of, of the true and living God who has revealed himself through Jesus of Nazareth, born of the Virgin Mary. It is very important that we understand that. Verse 32, he will be great and will be called the son of the highest. That's another way of saying son of God, by the way. The highest is God. So son of the highest is simply another way of saying the son of God. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. So here the emphasis is going to be on the kingdom of God. And it's the emphasis on the messianic king, the descendant of David that the Old Testament promised would rule forever and ever. That was a promise that God gave to King David, that there would be a seed from his line that would rule and reign forever. 
And the angel is saying, that time has come. The true and better king, the one that we are all ultimately longing for, has finally come. It says in verse 33, And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Again, Jesus' kingdom, friends, is the only kingdom that doesn't come to an end. I know this, this is hard for people to deal with. Because if you're in a culture, particularly if you're in a great culture, again, with all of its problems, all of its faults, all of its flaws, and all of its sins, both in the past and in the present, I still think the United States of America is an incredible country. I really, really do. I also think ancient Rome was, was an amazing country. There have been amazing nations, amazing cultures, and yet what do they all have in common? Each and every single one of them comes to an end. And that's the thing. And it, and again, as, as Americans, we love our country, but we recognize this kingdom, this, this kingdom, this nation is not going to last forever. It never was. There's only one kingdom that lasts forever, and it is the kingdom of Jesus. And Christmas is an invitation to be a part of this new kingdom that will never end. Verse 34, then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? Again, context is always helpful. Again, words and, and the link, uh, grammar is always important to go and study that. But context uh, still is vital. It's essential in every venture of interpretation. And so clearly when it says she's a Parthenos, she's a virgin, it means there's no sexual activity happening at all. It is a miraculous birth. Another way of proving that this is the case is you'll notice that as the two enunciations between John the Baptist and Jesus, between uh, Zacharias and Mary, are contrasted side by side, you'll notice that as great as everything is with John the Baptist, Jesus is going to be greater. And so if the Holy Spirit is going to do an amazing work in Elizabeth, who's barren, and she's past the age of childbearing, and God enables them in their old age to give birth. Well, how is God going to one-up that? Because Jesus can't be less than John the Baptist. He'd be greater. And if a young woman marries her husband and they get pregnant together, that's not exactly a miracle. That, and that's certainly not better than a barren woman past the age of, of childbearing, past, you know, past menopause. That's not amazing, is it? So again, if you say, hey, they're compared, but Jesus is greater, everything about it is greater, then you can also see something greater, a greater work of the Spirit had to take place. And again, along with the grammar and along with the context, it is clear that the virgin birth is a thoroughly biblical truth that we can build our faith on. Verse 35, our key verse, as I said, the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit, who's the true spirit of Christmas, will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. So again, while we 100% affirm the deity of Christ, we do want to be a pay attention to the fact that not all biblical writers, God really did use different human writers. There's one divine author, but there's many human authors. And God didn't just completely bypass uh, their personalities and their styles and, and their experience. God, the Holy Spirit, inspires them so they're without error, but he certainly uses them in their humanity. 
And so that means that sometimes words or phrases can actually mean something a little bit different, not contradictory, not ever, I would argue, but different. And here, that's what we have in the Gospel of Luke. Son of God for Luke is a direct reference to Adam in chapter 3 in the genealogy. And that is telling us something, that Jesus is the second Adam, that he is making a new life possible. He's not, he, Jesus did not come to make old life in the first Adam better, but to make a new life possible through the second Adam, Christ. Now, I kind of want to talk about how, in closing, how do we live this out? If we embrace that statement that I made based on the biblical text before us this morning, that the purpose of Christmas is not to make our old lives better, but to make a new life possible. Well, how do we respond to that? Okay, that, that's a beautiful truth. I admit, I'm just, I've just been trying to decorate my old life, but God wants to renovate. He wants to do a completely new thing from the ground up. Okay, Pastor Mike, if I admit that's what this is ultimately about, what do I do? How should I respond? And the answer is, look at Mary's response. It is the answer par excellence of what, how the believer responds to the true meaning of the Christmas story. So let's take a look at that response. Verse 36. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. So notice Mary doesn't ask for a sign, but the angel gives her one. Namely, it'll be, you can go see Elizabeth, who is barren and past the age of childbearing, and she's pregnant. So the angel, even though Mary didn't ask, gave her a sign anyway. Verse 37, for with God, nothing will be impossible. Again, you might have a different translation. It might say, for no word of God will fail. And that's because the word rhema in Greek can be translated as word or thing. So it could be either way, and both would actually be true, by the way. Whether it is for with God, nothing is impossible, or for with God, no word will ever fail, both things are true, friends. Both of those are true. Nothing is impossible with God, and no word of God will ever fail. It will always come true. So verse 38 records for us our response to the true meaning and purpose of Christmas. Then Mary said, Behold the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So friends, there's three things that we can do to respond like Mary to the true meaning of Christmas, which is that Jesus didn't come to make our old life better, but to make a new life possible. Number one, make the purpose of your life to serve the Lord. Make the purpose of your life to serve the Lord. Notice Mary says, behold the maidservant of the Lord. The word maidservant is the word doule, and that's bondservant, slave. Notice that Mary is humbling herself and saying, I am your slave. I am your bondservant. The perp Notice this, the purpose of my life, Mary is saying, is to serve the Lord. Notice that. This is incredible. This is exactly the response that we are to have to the Christmas message. 
We don't, when the Christmas message challenges us or says something hard or difficult to do, tells us to deny ourselves, to stop being so obsessed with what I get and how I want things and what I want to happen in the world. And we say rather in response, Lord, I am your slave. I am your bondservant. Whatever you want to happen, Lord, whatever you want to do, whether it's pleasant or it's difficult, whatever your plan is, which I know is good and perfect, let it be according to your word. So number one, friends, we respond like Mary. Make your life about serving the Lord. Life is about serving, not being served. Number two, Desire to obey the word of God. Desire to obey the word of God. Notice she says, let it be to me according to your word. Now, I think the Greek language makes it clear the attitude or disposition of Mary's heart. That word translated let it be in Greek is in the optative mood, which is the mood of wish or desire. So in other words, this is not like, oh, I'll let it happen. Oh, go ahead. Because many times you and I can be reluctant, right? Somebody says, hey, hey, can you do me this favor? And I'm like, all right, I'll let it be. That's not what Mary is saying. She's wishing for it, friends. She's desiring. She says, yes, yes, may it be according to your word. And that is what we should be doing in the Christmas season and the rest of our lives is desiring to obey the word of God. It is not chiefly about getting gifts under the, the tree and about doing this and keeping this tradition or starting this one or, or what's going on in current events and I want this to happen and I don't want this to happen. Friends, we should be desiring more than anything else to obey the word of God. I think when people are scared, when they're angry, when they're frustrated, one of the things they do is they, they just start panicking and they revert to basic old Adam survival instincts. I'm going to do what I want to do. Whatever I feel, I'm going to go where, where I get what I want and I don't want this and I don't like that and I don't like being told that. Friends, that is the sin nature and we must not obey it. Rather, we must desire to obey the word of of God. And remember, as was said by the angel, no word of God will ever fail. It is the wisest thing we can do, building our lives on the word of God. And lastly, let me challenge you with this. Are you willing to obey and follow the Christmas story, even at the cost of personal loss? Part of the Christmas story, friends, means we receive the will of God. We desire to obey the word of God, even if it means, and it will, to some extent or another, means personal loss. There is a cost to following Jesus. Now, you might say, well, where is that in the text, Pastor Mike? I don't see that. Well, let me just suggest that it's implied. And that is because Mary is not a dumb person. She knows she's engaged to Joseph. Betrothal in that time was legally marriage, except they simply had not consummated the marriage yet or lived together. But betrothal was legal, and it was a great sin, technically punishable by death, for Mary to suddenly be found pregnant with a child that was not Joseph's. 
her reputation, even if they opt not to stone her to death, which legally they could do, even if her culture legally did not stone her, her reputation could be decimated. Oh, she not only would do would they not venerate her, but Mary would be talked poorly of. People would be gossiping about her. Do, do any of us want to be gossiped about and have people slander us and say mean things? Friends, are we willing to suffer such indignity? Are we willing to suffer such pain? Notice that Mary said yes. Even though I know it could mean trouble for my relationship with Joseph, even though I know I could be killed, even though I know people will look at me and they'll say this, but for the sake of what I see before me, the kingdom of God, new humanity, a new life being possible, Mary is willing to leave behind her old life and say yes to the new life that is in Christ. And friends, I believe that is our calling today as well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you and praise you for your goodness, for your mercy, and for your truth. Lord, I thank you that the purpose of Christmas is not to make our old lives better, but to make a new life possible. Lord, I pray by the power of the same Holy Spirit who overshadowed Mary, would overshadow our hearts today and create in us supernatural life, life to live, to desire, and to serve the kingdom of God. Lord, let us not ask how we can be served, but Lord, tell us how we can serve you. Lord, help us to be a blessing to those around us, to bless our church community, to bless our family, to bless the people around us, including the non-believers and even those who hate us, our enemies. Lord, help us to be a blessing to them, to serve them in the name of Jesus who came in the world to give us new life. So, Lord, we just ask for a blessing not only over this day, but over this Christmas season. May you create and increase that new life in Jesus, the second Adam in us today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. For those of you that would like to continue your time of worship and praise of God through the act of giving, there are two ways that you can do that. Number one, you can go onto our church website, which is imagechurchoc.com, and there's a giving tab up at the top, and you can just click there and you can give using either your debit card or your credit card. Uh, for those of you that would prefer to mail in a check, you can do so to our church mailing address, which is 27762 Antonio Parkway, L as in Larry, 514, and that's Ladera Ranch, California, 92694 and again all that information is on our website imagechurchoc.com uh, again friends just want to encourage you to stay in the true spirit of christmas which is the holy spirit be in the word of god be in fellowship um, be doing good works however you can serve the kingdom of god just be doing that and giving with your heart generously just as god and christ has given generously to you Again, we'll be posting Christmas devotionals Monday through Friday on our Facebook page. Um, we'll have our Wednesday night midweek Bible study. We will be celebrating communion, so have your elements ready for that. We have an in-person service scheduled for Sunday, December 20th. We'll be providing more information about that next week. 
but I just want to say thank you, all of you, for continuing to make attending online a priority. I know it's easy to grow tired and grow weary and get out of the habit, but friends, we got to continue to stay as connected as we can, and let us welcome the Holy Spirit, who is the Spirit of Christmas, into our lives this week. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. God bless you all. Look forward to joining you again later this week.